Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, so this is like our, uh, I guess our, like, we're officially back from summer break, um, although it didn't feel like much of a break for, for some of us, is uh, it was short, it was weird, because the whole last, you know, year and a half was kind of strange, and so what I did um, for the first time was I took a consecutive three weeks off. I've never done that before, and man, it was it was good, but it was kind of a struggle. I don't know if you've ever taken like a time of uh, like a, a little bit of time off before, but um, the first week where I uh, where I was off, my the rest of my family was not like done with all of their sports and all of their kind of stuff, and Amy was still working. And so the first week I spent at home by myself, which was kind of nice actually. And so I decided I was going to spend that week in the garage working on this project. If you if you know anything uh, about me, you know I have this ongoing project for the last 10 years of an old truck I've been trying to restore. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to like just I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to spend a week out in the garage working on this thing. And it was nasty and it was hot, but it was something I needed to do. And so I went out there and I was working on it. And I just like as I'm as I'm reflecting on my own thoughts cuz you know once you kind of come up for air and you get to breathe a little bit after you've had a long season, you start to let some of those, maybe those, those emotions and some of the stuff that you haven't wanted to think about or deal with start to bubble up a little bit. And I found throughout the week, I wasn't getting more relaxed. I was getting more angry and frustrated. And it wasn't because I don't know what I'm doing on the car. I don't know what I'm doing, but I just found like this I don't know, this underlying just frustration in my life. And so I'm like, what is that about? And, and yeah, there's, you know, some issues, things dealing with, all that kind of, but there's nothing major. Why am I so mad? Has it just been the, you know, this whole year just kind of led to this moment or what, what's my deal? And I realized um, towards the end of the week that one of the reasons why I was kind of frustrated and angry was because the world has changed pretty dramatically in definitely the last year and a half, but probably the last handful of years, and I don't really understand it. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. We're, I watch things, and we're having discussions, and, and I just go, okay, how did we get here? Because none of this, and I don't know, maybe I'm the only person, but do you ever just look around and go, how did we get here? This just seems strange to me. And so I thought, okay, you know what? Um, I can't just sit here and be angry and frustrated because nobody really is asking my opinion. Uh, nobody's calling me going, hey, you know, Cody, how do you think the world needs fixed? Nobody's asking me that. And so I thought, you know what? Uh, best I can do is I can try to at least understand where people are coming from and why we're thinking the way that we are and, and how we've landed on some of these issues. And, and so I decided uh, this is kind of what I do is I'm going to research I'm going to learn, and I'm going to dig into this, and I'm going to try to figure out um, how we got to where we are as a nation, culturally, all that stuff. And so I started reading uh, a bunch of books and listening to a bunch of people, philosophers and, and sociologists, and just trying to figure out, okay, how did we get here? So the week two of my vacation, our whole family went up, and we go to this uh, place kind of off the grid a little bit, sort of in the middle of nowhere in Northern California, and we go off-roading. And so got lots of time to think and, and hang out. And so I just started reading and digesting and trying to figure out what's going on and, and make sense of some of this stuff. And then uh, week three, and this was really fun, is I got invited to speak, and I know this is really hard, in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought, oh, yeah, I guess I can sacrifice and I can do that. Um, and so a friend of mine invited me to speak. As, he's got an organization called Surf the Nations, and they got tons and tons of young people that come, and they live there, and they're you know, being discipled. And, and so I said, okay, I'll come. 
come. And then Amy said, well, I guess I should come and uh, we'll bring the kids. And then we'll, uh, it's this whole thing. I thought, oh, great. That's going to be so fun. Uh, and so we all went. And um, it, it was cool because I got to speak over a series of days to all these young people. Everybody was under 30. Most people were under 25. And I started to ask them questions initially. Like, hey, I realized that I'm not your generation is I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of you guys, quite a bit ahead of some of you guys. In fact, here was the realization that really scared me was um, some of you, most of you are closer to my daughter's age than my age, which is so depressing. And so we started to spell out, and it was kind of funny, some of the differences. That we were talking about when did you get your first iPhone or smartphone? And I think most of them were born, like they came out of the womb, and then they were given like a little baby phone. Um, and, and I, I hadn't had a phone until, a smartphone until I was almost married at that point. Uh, or we started, uh, we started talking about social media. I didn't have a, okay, so here, let's see how old you are. I quizzed them. I think you guys might do better. Do you remember what the first social media website was? Like the most popular one? Not MySpace. Friendster. Thank you. Right there. You're a zennial, aren't you? You're a zennial. Yeah, that's like a millennial, Gen X, or Zen. Okay. Uh, yeah, Friendster. And they were like, Friendster, MySpace? I hadn't even heard of these things before. They're just thinking, are you still on Facebook? Lame. <laughs> you know, like, and it's just because this is the world that they live in. And so the world that they've grown up in is much different than the world that I grew up in. Even though we may be 10, 15 years apart, it's just like, it's a completely different place. But not only is it different because of all the technological advancements, but it's different as far as the, the, the cultural, I would say the cultural relationship to Christianity. All of these kids, I was telling them, look, you're going to have to live a completely different way than I did growing up. Because I could kind of be cozy with culture in a way. I could get around it. I, people aren't going to bother me. There was this underlying assumption is here's what Christians believe, and that's fine. They do their thing. But now that's not going to be the world that you live in anymore. You're going to have to live very countercultural to uh, what everybody expects and what everybody assumes. And so we talked about what does that look like? And one of the ways that we're going to be able to not only live as Christians, but we're going to be able to tell people about Christ is we have to understand the times. Is we have to understand culture better than culture understands culture. Is if we're going to be able to bring the gospel to people, we have to contextualize it. We got to put it in their frame of reference and go, okay, here's what you think about the world. Here's how you see things, but here's how the gospel makes more sense of those. And so we started about what it looks like to contextualize the gospel and understand the times. And I realized, man, I don't understand the times all that well. It seems to be changing so rapidly. I need to figure out what's going on. And so again, I started researching and reading. And, and I want to just give you just a little piece of the puzzle that, um, that may help make sense of some of the world around us. And then also how we can look at this from a Christian perspective. And, and again, I, I'm not an expert. I don't, I'm just kind of sharing some things that I've learned and, and trying to make sense of it. And so we'll do this, uh, this journey together. And so um, one of the things that sets the mood in a culture or um, is the primary shaper of culture is what they believe about the future. So not only is it what we think about the past and we evaluate where we have been as a culture, but where do we think that we are going because that very much shapes the mood. It, it tells us who we are and who we're going to be. And um, in, in one, of the, uh, one of the main, and this was uh, surprising to me, one of the things that this, this keep coming up over and over again as we talk about culture and, and their future is what you think about human progress. So this idea about what we think about the future is really about where do you put your hope? Well, what do you have your hope in? See, hope, and I'll give you a very loose definition, hope is... 
Uh, believing that what you are looking for can be found in someone or something in the future. So you know this on an individual level is you think about, okay, you know what? I'm not happy. I don't really like the situation that I'm in. And so we start thinking about, well, where do I want to go? Who do I want to be? What are the things that I want to pursue? And those are the things that we put our hope in. And so it starts to change our disposition today about what we're thinking about the future. Yeah. We are very much, as, as humans, we're very much shaped by what we believe is to come. And that's actually how we filter our experience of the present. And so uh, Tim Keller gives this great illustration. He says, let's imagine that there are two guys and they work in a factory. And in this factory, they're making some obscure widget. And he says, now the one person, they sit there and they have to work for 12 hours a day and they're making minimum wage. And the other person, they're sitting there and they're working the same, same circumstance, doing the same job. But this person at the end of the year is going to get $15 million. And they go to a lunch break one day and they start talking about their job. And the guy who makes minimum wage talks to the guy who's going to get $15 million. He goes, do you, I don't know if I can do this job anymore. I'm just so frustrated. I'm so bored. It's just so, I, you know, I don't think I can take it anymore. And the guy who's going to get $15 million goes, this is the best job I've ever had. Are you kidding me? I'm so lucky to have this job. Now, what's the difference? It's not they have different jobs. It's what they believe is waiting for them in the future. Is they're shaped by their future hopes, and that, uh, that also shapes their, their present condition. Now, this also works in the other direction. It is a loss of hope can destroy our present. Viktor Frankl, if you know uh, in his book, um, he, he talks about how, if you don't know anything about Viktor Frankl, he was in a concentration camp for three years, and he made all these observations about how people dealt with suffering. And one of the most interesting observations, and it's sad, is, is someone who dealt with suffering, um, it was a, a block leader, a senior block leader, and he was a known composer, and one night he had a dream, and he believed that this dream was actually a vision for the future. And in his vision, he was told that on March 30th, the, uh, the war was going to be ended and he was going to be freed. And so as that date got closer and closer, and it looked like it wasn't going to happen. In fact, they're getting news reports that the war wasn't anywhere near ending. On March 29th, he started to run a temperature. On the 30th, he lost consciousness. And on the 31st, he died. All because of what he believed about the future. See, we can be motivated by the future, or we can find ourselves hopeless and lost, depending on what we think about the future. And so, if our culture is being shaped by what we believe about the future, what is it that our culture believes about the future? And this is a very complicated question, and I reference it is it, it revolves a little bit, and I'll tell you why, and I'll kind of give you the history, around the idea of human progress is this idea that human progress has been something that a lot of people for many generations now have found a lot of hope in. So let me give you a little history here, and hopefully this is interesting to you, and if not, eh, you're stuck. Okay. The ancients, and, and what I mean by this is ancient Greece and even uh, ancient Chinese people, they, they had a very different view of the world than we do, obviously. But their view was that their, th this world, it was eternal, that it was cyclical, that it was timeless, that it wasn't heading anywhere, that there would be different, uh, different people, different leaders, different societies, and they would go through this cycle in which they would start to emerge and start to conquer and hit a golden era and eventually decline until they would d die and decay, and then it would start that cycle over and over again for eternity. 
And they thought, yes, humans can make some sort of progress. Maybe they can know things. They can have a little bit more material goods. But really, it's just this never-ending cycle of coming and going, coming and going. Now, this all changed when Christ came, and he started to paint a different picture of what the world looks like. Now, this is obviously goes all the way back to the Old Testament, but it really started to spread when Christianity started to spread. What it said is that creation is not timeless, or that it's not endless, and that it does have a direction that it's heading in. Because it started with this narrative in Genesis that this creator God created it, and then Jesus comes along and he says, and there will be an ending to it one day. That I will return and I will restore all the broken things, that I will make this new. And so we are, as humanity, heading in a specific direction. Now, you're kind of thinking, this is common sense. That's just because of where you were born and the culture that you were born into. But you got to step outside of it a little bit and realize how revolutionary this idea was. Is that all of humanity is heading, it's progressing towards this end goal. One of the people that made the most sense out of this was the uh, third and fourth uh, century philosopher and theologian Augustine. And what he said was, he said that humanity is sort of like what happens to us on an individual level. That as we, as we are born and as we grow, we go from being an infant into an adolescent, finally reaching maturity, and eventually we're going to hit old age. Now, his, his idea of the progress of humanity was we will grow in our knowledge as we continue to grow as humanity, just like we do on an individual level. But there will come a time, the end days, in which just like old age, things will start to break down and decay, and then finally Jesus will return. And this idea started to become ingrained for the next 1,500 years, especially in the West, as Christianity spread, this view of the world spread. That humanity was progressing, that we were, we were going somewhere, that we were heading towards this end goal. And then we get to about the 17th and 18th century, and this movement called the Enlightenment begins. And the Enlightenment is this shift towards use of reason and science. And in fact, it's not just a use, and this is where modern science emerges. It's not just a use, but it, it, is a, is a, it is a, uh, becomes a worldview. And so people start to dismiss this idea that there is a creator God, but they hold on to the theological belief that there was a beginning and there will be an end and we are progressing somewhere. These, these Christian beliefs were still ingrained in their culture, even though they had dismissed God. And so we see this throughout the enlightenment through different thinkers. We see Hegel, and Hegel comes along and he proposes this view of humanity that is progressing from one stage to another stage and acquiring more knowledge along the way. We see this in Marx. He says that history is this constant struggle between the social classes, but he had this vision that workers one day will progress, they will be free, and they will have this utopian communist state. We even see this in Darwin. The whole theory of evolution is, is a biological progress, a biological process that is progressing towards an end goal. Fontanelli is an academic in the middle of the Enlightenment, and I think that he summarized this best. He took Augustine's whole concept of humanity as like a, a toddler growing into an adolescent, eventually into an adult, and he says, yeah, that is true, except for that last part where he says that we're going to enter into old age and we're going to eventually uh, decay. I, I don't believe that part. We're just going to continue to progress and progress and progress forever into the future until we figured everything out. And this was the hope of the Enlightenment. And this became the dominant view for, for many years, for a couple of centuries actually, is humanity is going to figure out all the problems. 
Now, this worked, and this, this, this view became the dominant view until about the turn of the century, the 20th century, because then they started to hit something that they didn't expect because they thought, we're getting smarter, we're gaining more knowledge, we're becoming better at uh, controlling nature. And then World War I happened. And then they had a Spanish flu. And then they had the Great Depression. And then finally they had World War II. And coming out of that, all of these people who are so optimistic, so hopeful about humanity's progress said, I don't think we can believe this anymore. <laughs> I mean, after all that we've seen and all the, all the millions and tens of millions of people that have died at the hands of not just nature, but of humanity itself, can we really believe in this idea of human progress? Atheist philosopher John Gray, can, this is how he concludes. He says, faith in progress is a superstition. It says to believe that humanity can progress, that's worse than religion. That's, that's a superstition. And so if we, uh, if we fast forward and we, we see after this kind of hope is lost in human progress, I believe, and I can't prove this, but this is my theory, is that we start to see a revival of this idea that humanity is going to figure it out. This hope in humanity See, none of you were adults during this first half of the 20th century. You may have been born during this time, but none of you remember having to go through this as an adult. Most of us, we weren't even born at that point. And so we haven't had to deal with kind of those, that, that past failure of humanity's progress. And so uh, we see over time that this revival of the idea of human progress has begun. And so some people today... I think would still affirm this idea. I think there's still a spirit of human progress. I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing to have that, but what I am saying is a bad thing to put your hope in. And so many, uh, many people since then have had to choose, well, if it's not humanity that we put our, prog- uh, that we put our hope in, um, what is it going to be? And by the way, uh, side note, I think this last year has been hard for those who have put all of their hopes and dreams in humanity. I don't know if you've watched lately, Things haven't gone so well. Is, look, I'm all about modern science, modern medicine, technology. I love all of those things. I am so happy. We were just talking this week about um, having kids and how I am just so much about modern medicine. I can't imagine my wife having to give birth out in the middle of a field somewhere. Oh my goodness. I love going to Hogue Hospital and getting an ocean view as my child is born. Fantastic. But is that really where I want to put all of my hopes and dreams? What I think is going to ultimately satisfy me is human progress. This last year has been a good reminder, I think, for those of us who are tempted to, is we think about, well, the pandemic. Vaccines, amazing. That's so great that we're able to, and we're able to, but there is some indication that this is because of our desire to progress scientifically that we had this. I'm not getting into it, but okay. What about our institutions? I don't know about you, but I'm, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, I'm a little skeptical of some of our institutions now because I'm not really sure who's trying to sell me something. Who's telling me the truth? Which science is correct? Who really has the answer to this deal? And I'm not saying there isn't one, and I'm not a relativist, but what I am saying is I don't know who to believe because everybody's trying to sell me something, just depending on what channel I'm watching. And so this idea of human progress has become, I think, a little bit more difficult to to sell recently. 
I think a lot of people, and this is kind of true, and this emerged in the 30s, but definitely after World War II, is they said, okay, forget that. Let's pursue the American dream. That's where our hope is. What we're going to do is we're going to get this career, and we're going to buy a house, and we're going to have a family and two kids and a dog and a couple cars, and everything is going to be amazing. And so lots of people did. They pursued what we now call the American dream. And some people, they realized this dream. They got to the top and they were able to see all of their, their, their achievements and all the success and realize all those hopes and dreams. And they got there. And even if it is a good thing, which I think there is a lot that is good about it, they went there and they went, well, so is this it? Like, is this everything? I was sold the American dream and I pursued it and I got it, but the cars and the money and the house and the spouse and all that, uh, it's good. It's great, but it's not everything. Like, I don't feel fulfilled in these moments. Or or maybe you you pursued the American dream, and you got there, and you went, no, this marriage is a mess. These kids are a disaster. The cars are breaking down. This is American nightmare. This isn't an American dream. And so the real result at the end of it was consumerism, materialism, inequality, entitlement, greed, trapped in this comparison and extreme individualism. Or there's a whole bunch of people who they wanted the American dream, but they never realized it for whatever reason. I was reading a book recently, and I don't know what I think about it yet, but it's interesting. It's claiming that millennials, which is my generation, as we are now kind of the ones who are right in the middle of raising kids and all that, that um, we are the burnout generation that we have totally burned out at an early age because we were sold this idea that if you work hard enough, you go to the right school and then you get your career and then everything, you're going to have this American dream. And so we did all of those things. And many people came out and went, well, none of that is available now. I entered into the workforce during the recession. I can't buy a house. I can't get a job. I have all this student debt. Everything is a mess. I don't see the American dream ever happening. And many people are coming to the realization that I may not do as well as my parents did, which is a part of the American dream is every generation builds upon the last and we do better. And what if that doesn't happen? I put all my hopes and my dreams in that, but now it doesn't seem to be coming true. And so the American dream, however good it might be, and look, I think there's a lot of good things about it, don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's our ultimate hope. There's a survey that came out recently, and it said, and this is crazy, and I, I've seen numbers all over the place, but this was the most recent one. It said 95% of Americans want to quit their job. <laughs> 95. I'm sure the 5% that don't, they work here. <laughs> I hope, right? Yeah, you're good? Okay, fantastic. Um, 95% of people, they want to quit their job. Why? Why is it? I mean, that's an enormous amount of people. Is it because their jobs are so hard? Well, no, I think if you rewound in 75 years and you looked at their jobs versus ours, ours are looking pretty cushy, right? But I think, this is just me speculating, I think maybe the reason is because we put so much hope and weight into our careers and our jobs as being the thing that would fulfill us. And when it didn't, we decided, well, why am I doing this then? Because the job for many people became the thing. It became the, the thing that was ultimately going to fulfill me. And we realized, well, that's not working either. See, I think 75 years ago, they probably maybe had a, a, a better conception of what work w- was. It was. It was a great thing to have, and it was a gift that you, you were bestowed, a responsibility, but it's not going to be your ultimate fulfillment. It's not where you should put your hope. 
Some people have put their hope in politics or their national identity. If we can just get the right people or the right party in control and we can preserve these values and beliefs or we can progress, then, then everything will be okay. And so my hope is in the future of our country. Again, not a bad thing, but is that where our ultimate hope belongs? And you can see this is ingrained in our politics and our discussion. You want to be on the right side of history. Don't be on the wrong side of history. What is that assuming? We're heading towards this utopian goal and that as we're along in this journey, you want to make sure that you are on the right side of it. Sure, maybe that's a great goal. Maybe that's something we should aspire to. I think it is. But is that ultimately where our hope lies? I think a lot of people, especially I've seen this in a lot of young people, is they've given up on all of that. We've become kind of cynical. We said, yeah, yeah, we've seen you guys try all of those things and none of them have worked. So here's what I'm going to do. My hope is going to be in myself. My hope is going to be in self-realization. I'm going to pursue who I want to be. It's going to be about my desires and my wants because all of you people out there, you're a mess. You keep failing me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go inside myself and this is where my hope is really going to lie. Or some of us, we just try to stay distracted long enough not to realize that we're hopeless. I could just stay on my phone, or if I could drink enough to numb the pain, or if I can pursue the next great thing, then I'll realize that I have no, or I'll be able to avoid the, the realization that I'm really, I'm really hopeless. And so um, here's the great irony that I've, the conclusion I've come to at least, is on one hand, humanity has to have hope in something. We are shaped by it. It is a necessity. We cannot live without it. And yet, there seems to be no place that we can put our hope that won't fail us. So what do we do? We, we need hope, and yet everything at the end seems to be hopeless. Now, there was a group of people throughout all of these different stages in humanity in the last couple, uh, couple thousand years that they were able to stay humble during these times of human success, and yet they were able to stay confident in times of failure and distress. That their hope seemed to be unwavering despite the circumstances individually and, and as a society. That they were continuing to be hopeful people, that they had this living and lasting hope. And it wasn't a blind optimism. Don't confuse hope with blind optimism. Blind optimism, I don't see all the bad things, it's going to be fine. It's, I see the bad things and yet I'm still hopeful. See, this group of, of people, and this is probably no surprise, is, is people who put their faith in Christ. They had a Christian hope. See, the Christian hope, it's, it's different, than different than other kinds of uh, types of hope. And let me give you just a few reasons why. First one is because the Christian hope is a reasonable hope. Sometimes I see people and they put hope, uh, and I don't even know what it's in. It's in the stars. It's in the universe. It's in karma. It's in, I don't really know what it is, but they'll say things like, well, don't worry because it's all going to work out in the end. And I want to say to them, why do you believe that? Like, who says it's going to all work out in the end, that everything's going to be okay, that it's going to all get resolved? Because if I look at human history, it hasn't all worked out in the end. In fact, it's pretty much gone, we pretty much look at it and gone, well, that ended badly. So what makes you think it's all going to work out in the end? That seems like a very irrational belief to me. See, what we need is a hope that is reasonable. It's not a blind hope, but it's a hope that we can have evidence, we can have proof for. When we talk about the Christian hope, it's a hope that is rooted in the, his, the historical event of Jesus' resurrection. 
We don't have hope in Jesus because he was a really good teacher, because he was an interesting philosopher, maybe even a prophet. We have hope in what he claimed because he died and rose again. It's an evidential hope. It's a reasonable hope. And so it's not just hope in some kind of theory or some kind of ideal. It's a hope in something that has happened in human history. We also need a uh, realistic hope. And I think Christianity, they have a realistic hope, not just of humanity. And I think that they do. One of the problems is, um, is that, and I th- not to go too deep, but the, the Enlightenment thinkers, they were kind of on one side of the spectrum in which they had this incredibly optimistic hope for human potential and progress. But then you have like these postmodern thinkers that have merged after all this and they've gone like, nah, I don't think so. You guys are a mess. I, think this, I don't think this is going to work out. And I think Christians, they can be in the middle where they can see the potential of humanity. See, the whole idea of the enlightenment and of progress and modernity, why am I having trouble with that word? Modernity? There it is. It's my first week I'm back, you guys. Uh, Modernity is this idea, it comes from Judeo-Christian beliefs. And the belief is that we were made in the image of God. And this is a rational God. This is a God that has made himself known and he has created a world that is intelligible. And so we started this project of trying to understand and subdue the earth. And so we understand human potential. All of this was built on Judeo-Christian beliefs and values. But we also understand the dangers. Because with all of that potential, with all that opportunity, we also realize that humanity has this thing called sin. And we can take all of these great opportunities and potentials and we can use them for some pretty destructive things. It's how humanity is able to create antibiotics and the atom bomb. Because we have great potential, but there's also great danger. And what the Enlightenment didn't realize, and people still don't, is they think that humanity is good at its core. Or maybe it's just a blank slate and we go, no. There are some great aspects to humanity. It's what makes us intrinsically valuable is we're made in God's image. And yet there's this thing called sin. And we have to be careful. The Christian hope is also a realistic view of your life. It's not that one day you will reach enlightenment. It's not that one day everything will be a utopia. No, no, no. The, the human, uh, the, the realistic vision or, 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 or view of your life is it is going to be full of joy and pain, of triumph and tragedy. It's not always going to be up and to the right. You're going to go through some things. But here's what Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28, he says, and, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Look no further than Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of this. It's a life that was full of pain and suffering and ultimately joy. And so it's a realistic view of our lives. It's also a practical hope. So uh, imagine for a moment that we were to travel to North Korea, and we were given the opportunity to sit down and talk to some people who are stuck in labor camps. What hope would you give them? What would you tell them? Would you say, hey, if you work really, really hard, maybe one day they're going to let you out of here? No, that's not a hope. What kind of hope would you give them? You would need to give them a hope, like Hebrew says, a hope that, has, that is an anchor for the soul, a firm and secure hope. You need to give them something that that can withstand 
the circumstances that they're in and that they probably will never get out of. Why do you think that so many people who are poor and needy have grasped on historically to the gospel? Is it because Jesus was a really good moral teacher and he said, you know, you should treat people better. You know, you should really love God more. No. They became Christians because, or Christ followers because of the hope that it brought. That there is a God and this God hears them and loves them and forgives them and will provide and restore those who have been rejected. And finally, it's a lasting hope. 1 Peter 1, 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. See, we need a hope that is secure, one that transcends whatever we may experience, transcends even humanity and the world itself, because the truth is that beauty will fade, relationships will end, things will rust, but you can maintain your hope through all of that if you have your hope in him. See, my hope is that one day, despite whatever happens in this life, and man, I hope for some great things to happen in this life, But no matter what does happen, I can have a hope that is unwavering, that is an anchor for my soul, because I will one day experience a moment in which I get to see my creator face to face, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And in that moment, whatever I have experienced throughout my short lifetime, it will have been worth it. And not only that, but I will get to experience a new heaven and a new earth, and all of the things that have been corrupted will be made new. And I get to experience that for eternity. My deepest longings, the things that I've strived for, that I've ultimately wanted to find, that I've, I've looked to other things will ultimately be fulfilled in that moment with my heavenly father. And so here's the question. What is your hope in? Simple question, but maybe difficult. What is your hope in? See, whatever you place your hope in, it will determine if you live a hopeful or hopeless life. Now, you may not know what your true hope is, and unfortunately, you won't find out until it fails you. And the only thing that will not disappoint you, that will not fail you, is if you put your hope in something that transcends space and time and humanity. It's got to be your creator. And so some of us, uh, we've, and, and this is for those of us who call ourselves Christians, is we go, okay, Cody, I'm with you. My hope is in Jesus. I'm, I'm there, but I got to be honest, I'm feeling fairly hopeless right now. Well, uh, let, me, let me tell you a little story. Years ago, um, we were sitting at the dinner table, and I, I, I think it was, Chris, or it was a New Year's Eve. And I was at my grandparents' house in Arizona, and my whole family was sitting around, and we started to talk about that coming year. And we went around the table, and we said, okay, so what are you hoping is going to happen this next year? And I, it got to me, and I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something about here's what I hope to achieve, here's the goals that I would like to pursue, here's the things I'd like to buy, or here's the things, experiences I'd like to have, or what. And my grandpa looked at me, okay. I said, well, grandpa, and this, this is, he's passed away since. I said, grandpa, what do you hope for this coming year? And without blinking, his immediate answer was that Christ would return. And I kind of smirked a little bit, like, okay, that's interesting, you know, I don't know. I got a lot to do this year, but I guess if he comes back, that'll be fine. <laughs> what I've realized since is I say that my hope is in Christ. 
But when asked, my hope was really in that I could do these things and I could have these experiences and I could accumulate this kind of material wealth or I could, that's really where my hope was. But to have a hope that is in Christ is to see your entire, your entire world, your livelihood, everything through the lens of Jesus. See, he, his greatest hope the thing that he kept at the forefront of his mind was, I just want to be with Jesus. I just want Jesus. This is where my hope lies. All those things are great and we'll do all those things, but this is really where my hope lies. Right before I returned home from vacation, typical, I got a phone call the night before. Hey, Code, um, just give you a heads up. A couple situations that are going to be waiting for you at the office. <laughs> okay, right, great. And I heard about some of the circumstances, some of the issues, you know, the drama that's awaiting me. And, and I got to be honest, it was some pretty big stuff. And, and as I was thinking about it and thinking, how do I deal with this? And I came to the conclusion, I didn't create this problem, nor can I solve this problem. And yet it's going to have potentially some profound impacts on my life. And I started to feel hopeless. I almost thought, why am I going home? <laughs> I'll stay on vacation forever. And then I realized, well, I'm broke, so I can't do that. But how, I don't know if I want to go back and have to deal with all this drama right now. And for the first handful of days when I was back, I will be totally honest, I was feeling hopeless. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to deal with this. This is just too much right now. And you know what changed? Be completely honest. I went to the men's event, and then I came to service. And I don't just say that because I'm a pastor. I, I really do feel like that. As I went to the men's event and I saw hundreds of men coming together going, okay, we want to follow Jesus. What does that look like? How can we be better leaders of our family? How can we be better husbands and better fathers and, and, and better bosses? And how can, we, how can we be better men for the cause of Christ? And I just walked away going, oh, wow. I mean, there, there's people who are in this that are on the same journey as me. And I came back to the weekend service and we had this incredible time of worship and Doyle's message was okay. And then the baptism, <laughs> and then the baptism. And I just went, oh, that's right. God's still in control. He's still at work. He's still doing what he does. He's still changing lives. He's still bringing people to, to him. And so I'm not gonna give up. In fact, I was just filled with this last week. I was just filled with so much hope, more hope than I've been filled with despite the circumstances because I just said, well, God's still got this. He, he's still here. He's still doing work. He's, he's still making it. And so maybe some of you guys just need a little reminder like I needed a reminder. Is you've, you've gotten your eyes off of maybe you've been on vacation, you haven't been in a while, you've just been consumed by the everyday stuff and you just need a little reminder. Oh yeah, God's still got it. He's still in control. He still cares for me. He still loves me. He still has a plan. He, he's still going to work this out for me. And so I can have hope. And so the question is, not is God still going to provide? The question is, are you going to trust him enough and put your hope in him and allow him to? And so here's what I, what I wanted to do. And I'm going to invite the band up. I know we're, we're about out of time, but I just, maybe it's just for me. Um, maybe it's for you too. I asked them to do one final song and it's a song of hope. It's just a song that declares, you know what? All my hope is, is in you. And so I, although I may have walked in this building feeling hopeless, I'm reminded that my hope is ultimately in you. And so let me pray for us and then we'll sing. Lord God, thank you so much for, for the hope that you offer. There's a lot of different ideologies. There's a lot of different people. There's a, a lot of different promises out there of hope. And yet everywhere that I look, it continues to fail us. 
And so, Lord, I could either be hopeless or I can turn to you and find my hope in you. And so ultimately, Lord God, that's what we want to do is we want to come to you and say, although all those other things, they may be good things, they're not ultimate things. They're not the things that are going to satisfy, that are going to fulfill. And so ultimately, our hope is in you, even in the circumstances in which it doesn't make sense. And so, Lord God, as we sing this song together, my prayer is that if there's anybody in this room who has walked in feeling hopeless, that you would meet them here and fill them with your hope. Hey, before we go, just one last thought is uh, one of the things that brought so much hope uh, for me this last week is just by being with God's people and being reminded that, uh, that God is still good and he's still at work and his people uh, are still uh, full of hope. And so if you need some prayer, there's gonna be some people down front that would love to pray with you and maybe bring some hope into your world um, or get involved somewhere. Just be a part of the community because you're not supposed to do this whole thing alone. You're gonna find hope in God's people. And so have a great week and we will see you next weekend. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.